Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out another Paleo Runner podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Zach Bitter. Zach is an exceptional endurance athlete. Uh, he follows a low-carb, high-fat diet. And Zach has also been using a product that I've sent to him to try called 3Fuel. And 3Fuel is great for people who are uh, trying out a low-carb or a paleo-style diet because it includes some of those healthy fats from coconut, some protein from grass-fed whey, and a little bit of carbs from uh, slow-releasing starch. If you're interested in trying that out, go ahead and click on the link on your iPhone or iPad, and uh, it'll take you to the 3Fuel.com where you can use my coupon code 3FOlson. Um, if you're listening on Stitcher, just go to paleorunner.org and click 3Fuel at the top of the page. My guest today is Zach Bitter. Zach is the American record holder for the 100 miles and 200K, and he has set records while following a unique low-carb, high-fat diet. Zach, it's great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Yeah, Zach, it's uh, really exciting to talk to you again because you have such a unique diet and uh, what you've been able to accomplish while doing that uh, is pretty awesome. So last time we talked, you had set the the American record for 100 miles. Uh, what have you been up to since? I know you've also uh, this spring set set a record for 200K. Um, what was that like? Yeah, so actually I was... Um it was kind of a weird situation. I was actually going to a race in South Carolina called the South Carolina 24 hour. Mm-hmm. And my main, my, my goal going in was to try to get a qualifying time to make the U S 24 hour race team, uh, to compete at worlds. And uh, I went there and I was doing pretty well throughout the course of the race. And, uh, um, ended up getting the 200 kilometer, American record, like within that 24 hour time frame. Yeah. Didn't, so, you, didn't you hit that? And, and for everyone listening, uh, you set the record by about a half an hour and didn't you hit 200 K at like something like 16 hours or something like that? Yeah. I think it was 16 hours and 23 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, so, so yeah, I, I actually, Oh, go ahead. So, I mean that you must've been pretty excited at that point, but, uh, what, what were you going to say before I interrupted you? So I had, um, like I, earlier in the day, I had noticed a little bit of pain in my Achilles and it, it started to kind of progressively get worse. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to, when I hit, the, I wanted to get to the 200 K mark because I knew I was on American record pace for that. So I, I, I went, I went that far at least, but then I ended up stopping there instead of trying to go through the, the full 24 hours. And a lot of that had to do with, well, the pain in my Achilles, and I also had the Mad City 100K four weeks later, which I didn't want to like jeopardize my ability to be able to race that, because mm-hmm. um, that was also a qualifier for another U.S. team for the 100K team, mm-hmm. um, and that was one that I really had as a priority. So, yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to push on into doing like some long-term damage and having to back out of some of the races I have scheduled coming up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I. Walk me through what that race was like. Um, th- this was also on a track, and uh, so it was similar to um, the record that the 100 mile record, which was also run on a track. Uh, t- walk me through what, what what that was like the morning of the race as you were fueling up, and then uh, kind of what you what happened during the race and what you were eating. Yeah, so I um. I started out the morning. It was a little different than most races. Most also start early in the morning, some as early as 5 a.m., but this one actually started at 10 a.m., so I could actually sleep in a little bit and uh, 
you know, be a little more leisurely, I guess, while getting ready. Uh, but for all my races these days, since I've been high fat, my uh, morning routine is pretty important to me because I want to I want to toe the starting line in as peak of fat burning state as possible. Mm. So the quickest way for me to get away from that would be to eat a carbohydrate rich breakfast. Mm-hmm. So my my breakfast before a race usually entails like a coffee or tea with um a pretty good portion of like coconut milk in it. Okay. Um, and uh, usually I'm not terribly hungry the morning of a race, so I don't really need a whole lot more than that. But if I am kind of hungry uh, and feel like I need to add a little something else, I'll maybe add some like nut butter, usually like an almond butter or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, with, to have with uh, on the side of the almond milk coffee. Or I'm sorry, the coconut milk and coffee. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how I start the morning. I want to make sure that I'm pretty much just putting a little bit of fat into my system. Uh, but nothing that's going to push me into like a carb burning zone. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty leisurely getting ready and stuff. And then the race started at 10. Uh, and it was, uh, it was, a you know, it was, it, it was the first time I was ever going at a 24 hour event. So, uh, I had kind of two different beliefs in terms of how to go about it. Um, and it was one was just to be like really, really cautious early and try to maintain a pace of what I thought I would actually be able to average mm-hmm. or go out kind of like just at a pace that felt comfortable, but didn't feel artificially slow. Mm-hmm. And I actually ended up going with that second option. My theory was that, um, I'm naturally going to start to slow down just from the toll the race will take on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't pay to like, I essentially strain myself to run slower than what feels comfortable. So the early hours, I was doing a pretty good clip of like sub seven minute miles. And then as the day went on, um, my pace slowed down as it warmed up and, and, and I just had some hours under my feet. Uh, but I did fuel a lot differently for this race than I normally would, okay. uh, mainly because my thought process here was again, that I wanted to utilize my fat burning abilities. Uh, but I also had in mind that I was going to be out there for 24 hours. So I wasn't going to necessarily replace all my fuel with, with a carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. Normally what I'll do is normally for a shorter, also like a 50 mile or a hundred K or one where I'm going to be out there for like less than 10 hours. I'll probably fuel with, with low levels of carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a very low carbohydrate diet, but when races come, I bring back the carbs just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, some people refer to it as, um, train low race high, mm-hmm. but I kind of like referring to like low carbon training and high carbon racing. But I like to say it's a little different than that because my, my race high is still relatively low to someone who compared to someone who's on a, on a normal, like normal level carbohydrate diet. Uh, so, but for this race, I went a little different yet. Cause I knew I was probably going to be moving a little slower just based on the length of the race. And, um, if I was, I was planning on being out there for 24 hours. So I thought to myself, I would, I want to be fueling with some healthy fats along the way too, just to kind of get a jump start on what eventually would be a recovery process when it was all said and done. So I took in some like uh, coconut chips. Uh, some banana chips that were cooked in coconut oil. And uh, I was using three fuel as well along the way to try to get a pretty hefty portion of like high quality fats. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. with a little bit of protein and a little bit of carbohydrate. Um, so that's kind of what my fueling strategy looked like during the day. Uh, as the race progressed a little bit, I did bring back a few more carbohydrates um, in the later hours of the race. Uh, but that was kind of the, the fuel I would, I went with early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, as oh, a, keep going. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. well, I was just going to say, um, you know, some people might be listening to this and thinking, you know, this is completely crazy. They might've never heard of this before. I want to hear about the rest of the race, but what are some of those big advantages of doing this lower carb strategy in the first place? Um, well, for me, what I found out that works really well for me is that I get really fat adapted in training and in just my general daily lifestyle by eating a, a high fat diet. And then on um, race day, by by keeping my body in that state going into the race, mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm able to metabolize fat primarily. So when you think about the human body and how it's um, designed, uh, you have even the leanest athletes have way more fuel on them in fat stores as they do glycogen stores. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to use that glycogen, the limited glycogen I have in in a very, very conservative manner. Uh, Because essentially you're burning too many calories too fast to be able to replace it with all external fuel source from a a carbohydrate standpoint. Um, So what I do is I get my body so efficient that I'm burning almost all fat and then if I trickle in some carbs along the way, I can uh, make sure my glycogen stores stay at a point where I can focus real well and I don't have bonks and uh, like weird highs and lows during the race. Mm-hmm. Okay, Zach. So, you know, if people want to know more about that, they can go back and listen to my first uh, episode with Zach. But what you were talking about there is during the race is trickling a little bit of carbs and you were adding in things like banana chips cooked in coconut oil, so also some fat, and then some 3Fuel, which is a a product that uh, sponsors this show. And uh, if people are interested in that, they can certainly use my code uh, 3F Olson to get 10% off. But that was that was about halfway through, and then as you're getting into the later stages, are you keeping up that same approach? Um, actually, as I went a little further into the race, I started bringing the carbs back a little more than what I had. Because uh, in a typical race, I won't in, I won't eat a lot of fat during the race because I just I assume you know I have I have enough fat just like on as a, as just a person holding like your body storage fat, there's enough there to use during a race. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I didn't for desert or, I mean, I didn't for South Carolina mainly because I just knew I was going to be out there for a long time. And I wanted to make sure I didn't have such a big calorie deficit at the end that it would take that I'd prolong my recovery. Um, so yeah, I, I did eat, eat some more fats during that race than what I normally would. Okay. Okay. So then you you ended up uh, cutting the race short, but you must have been pretty excited about that record. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It, anytime you can take a swing at an American record or something like that, it's a it's a good day. And I know the Ray Clark, the guy who had it before, is a really was a really good ultra runner and kind of a legend in the sport. So um, just to be able to have my name mentioned like with him is a pretty pretty uh exciting 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Zach, you, you've it seems like you've had a pretty exciting spring, and you've you've also ran Mad City 100K, which you won uh, and did well at. You've you've also been uh, in part of the, something called the Faster Study, which is looking at uh, low carb, high fat athletes and seeing how they're performing. Um, which of those should we start with uh, to go in further into this whole uh, everything you've been up to this spring? How about how about Mad City 100K? What what was that like? Uh, Mad City was great, and it was uh, really rewarding in the sense that since I wasn't able to do the full 24 hours at South Carolina, I wouldn't be able to be on that team. So it was really important for me to try to lock up a spot on the world or on the U.S. 100K team so I could um, represent the country at that distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by winning by winning Mad City, I had I got an automatic uh, qualifier to be on the team that is uh, going to be racing in in cutter in in uh november late november so uh that experience was great and it was just fun kind of to get back to some of the shorter ultra marathons because i had been doing some longer stuff the last couple times and um the 100k is you know 62 and a half miles but compared to what i had done the last couple times that actually felt like it went by pretty quick um so i kind of uh and you mentioned the faster study and it's it actually went uh, it worked really well with uh, Mad City because from that study, I actually got some data that really helped me understand a little better, uh, like how my body was fueling. Uh, so I used some of that data and some of that information I knew to kind of like, I guess, bolster my faith in like how much fuel I actually need uh, during a race. Uh, okay, so, so I, that's I, like every runner's dream is to have specific information, you know, tailored exactly to them. So, so tell me more about that. Yeah, so at the faster study, um, Dr. Jeff Bollock and his like team of graduate students that he's have doing this study, they're they're essentially taking high fat athletes and then they're t- also taking high carb athletes, um, and then they're pairing them up so they're similar sizes and similar like I guess resumes you'd say, okay. uh, so that you have like a real consistent like comparison, mm-hmm. and then. Um, what now, do doing they take their, like uh, size and weight, or is it just uh, comparing time times? It, it's both, actually. They okay. they take in consideration. They try to pair it with some of the same about size, like height and weight, and then also with about the same like running caliber as you are. Okay. Um. So it actually they're real strict about like the diet and stuff that you're eating and stuff, and like regulate a lot of the stuff going into the study so that they know that they're getting a uh, legit high fat and legit high carb athlete as well but they start you off with a vo2 max test where they well can i can i stop you before you go to that because how do they how do they uh regulate what you're eating are are they asking you you know what have you been eating for the past six months the past three weeks um and who did you get paired up against or paired with i guess uh they they actually they make you fill out a food log to qualify and then once you fill out this food log you send it in they go through it and they calculate all the macronutrients to make sure you qualify for the high fat or the high carb group. Okay. And once you qualify, they set you up in the into the test. Um, and then, I mean, it's one of those things where I guess they can't guarantee you're eating what you're saying you're eating, mm-hmm. but they'll find out pretty quick if like someone who says they're high fat comes in and their body is metabolizing carbohydrate at a very <laughs> high rate early on. So yeah, and and they'll they t- they can test like. Um, 
your glu- like your your blood glucose levels and things like that as well. Okay. Um, and they do they do a lot of a lot of testing. I think they drew like something like sixteen vials of blood and like countless like finger pricks and three muscle biopsies and three fat biopsies as well. So okay. they have a pretty good idea of what your body is is doing based on like the, the the amount of information they take from it. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you were mentioning there that one of the first things they had you do was do a VO2 max test. And what did, what information did that tell you? So the VO2 max test, what they did is they, they put the mask on you so they can kind of get uh, through your through your breath while you're, or your oxygen exchange while you're racing, or not racing, but doing the VO2 max test. Mm-hmm. With that information, they have a guy there who um, is, I guess, an expert in uh, doing the mathematical equations with those numbers. So then he calculates out uh, a sheet that shows you a whole bunch of different information about like the, the amount of grams per minute of fat that you're, you're burning. And then the grams per minute of carbohydrates you're burning at various intensities. It's kind of the simplest way to describe the chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have this sheet basically that shows you as you move up in intensity, it'll just say like, grams per minute fat, grams per minute carbohydrate. Um, and then what you can do with that is you can take, uh, you can take your maximum fat burning state, which was for me was 1.57 grams per minute. Mm -hmm. And then you take that over, you, you follow the chart along the side and you, there's a number, I forget which category it was under, but there's a number you're supposed to take from there. And then if you divide that number by your eventual, VO2 max that gives you the percentage at which you're burning maximum, the maximal fat range. Okay. So for me, that came out to be when my maximum fat grams per minute was 1.57. When I followed that over the chart and I took that number and divided it by the 66.1, which is my VO2 max, it came out to be like at 74 some odd percent, I was burning 98% fat and 2% carbohydrate. Wow. Is that, is that pretty unusual? Yeah, that's basically unheard of in terms of what like modern study or like not modern studies, but what the studies they have done are showing. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that they didn't think that people could really even, um, burn over like a gram of fat per minute. And my maximum fat burning rate was at 1.57. So that alone is kind of off the charts in terms of what people thought was capable. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's not like I'm this super unique individual because uh, the preliminary like results are showing that a lot of the guys who are doing the high fat diet are having similar, similar scores as mine in that, in that department. Okay. Um, so they haven't released the full results of the study yet. Uh, because they have a lot of other stuff to, to go through and information to look at other than just the snapshot, which is the VO2 max test. Um, and then they'll have a better comparison of where where the high-fat dieters are compared to the high-carb dieters. Okay. So was it interesting being there with the high-carb athletes? Are, are you guys all uh, testing together and chatting together, You know, kind of talking about your different diets and stuff like that? Well, the unique thing about it is uh, the way they have it set up is it's so intensive about how, how much work each one of these individuals at the, at the study have to do 
with a given athlete, they can really never have more than one there at a time. Mm. So you basically fly out there and you spend two days testing, and you fly back and they've been doing this for probably the last, almost last year by now, maybe a little less than that. So no one's actually there at the same time. Uh, and they don't really, they can't really legally tell you who else is participating in the study. Okay. So, um, like I wouldn't be like, I, I know a few just from like people who told me they did it, but other than that, it, they're not allowed to really talk about the other, the other, um, participants because it's a real controlled experiment and they want to make sure they're following like all the criteria for that. Okay. Well, Zach, uh, you're, you're obviously high profile in the ultra running community. So have you talked to guys, uh, who are following a more, um, uh, I guess mainstream high carb diet and, you know, have they asked you, you know, why, why are you doing this? Or obviously they know it's working for you. Do they think you're crazy? What are those conversations like? Um, I think it's, it's really kind of interesting. Actually. I mean, there's, I would say the majority of ultra runners are probably not like super high carb by definition, but they're just like, they're not conscious of like super conscious or analyzing like the amount of macronutrients. So they end up coming out to being, like their highest level of intake is from carbohydrates. They don't necessarily have low amounts of fat intake, um, but they they definitely like look at it kind of funny and wonder like why it happens. A lot of people they just don't really kind of understand that uh, like like how much it goes into it. Mm-hmm. So or or necessarily even believe that there's a there's an advantage. There's a lot of people who actually think that you know, just the act of running as much as we do is going to cause them to be efficient, like as efficient fat burners as they can get. And there's not really a dietary connection there. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's a fair amount of that. And that's one thing that we hope that this study will clear up a little bit and show that there definitely is a correlation between diet and your ability to, to use fat as a fuel for longer periods of time and at higher intensities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I released some preliminary data on my blog, and it was pretty wild how many people uh, are either skeptical or curious or just want to learn more about this. So uh, hopefully I drove a little bit of interest towards Dr. Volick's eventual release of the findings this summer. Yeah, and have you talked to Timothy Olson, uh, the winner of Western States at all? Because I know he follows a, a lower-carb diet as well. Do you, are you, do you guys uh, you know converse about different approaches that you guys are taking? I, I was familiar with, with Tim doing the high fat diet or higher fat diet. Anyway. Um, I haven't really talked to him a whole lot about, it. I have met him on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like collaborating, we really haven't done, mm-hmm. done any of that. Uh, I couldn't tell you honestly how specific he is in terms of like high fat to high carb to moderate pro- or high fat, low carb, moderate protein, like what his ranges are, his levels are at. Um, I'm sure he's pretty efficient, even if he's semi-conscious about it, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, just, just sitting down and finding a, a diet plan that works for you and getting to know that there's the levels of fat and carbohydrate in it is, is a pretty valuable tool. And um, it seems like he's, he's been pretty dialed in on that as well. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is how difficult do you find it to follow this low carbohydrate style of diet? Is it something where you're having to measure and analyze a lot or is it something where you can basically just follow your tastes? 
Um, how's that been going for you? It's It actually gets better and better as you do it. I remember at, when I first started it, it was just kind of like overwhelming a little bit because I, I would just think about all the foods that I had eaten in the past that I would have to start to avoid and maybe some of the foods that I had to start incorporating that I hadn't really eaten much of in the past. And I guess that's the biggest hurdle is getting past that first initial, like, you know, I'm making this big lifestyle change in terms of like what I'm most used to doing. And I think that's what scares most people away from actually doing it. I mean, despite the performance benefits you can get from it. Uh, so for me, it was just kind of getting, getting used to it and separating myself, I guess, enough from my old habits and what I ate uh, and developing new habits. So now it's to the point where it's, it, it, like I don't like bringing the carbs back. It, I, I just like the the high fat diet so much better, and I have a routine with it now. So um, it feels it feels awkward not to follow it. And um, once you kind of develop a few like different recipes and types of foods that uh, work well for you, uh, it just it's just really really nice because you have you see all the benefits from it, um, and you can. I don't really have to do a lot of measuring because I kind of know now like what food groups have what levels of carbohydrates, fats, and you know, which, which carbohydrate foods have more of a fiber com comp composition as opposed to like a sugary or starchy composition. So I can kind of just guesstimate about how well I'm doing on terms of levels there. And in terms of like the amount of food I eat, like when you have your body as efficient at burning fat as, as I do mine, you kind of don't have to really worry so much about counting calories or anything like that because your body will kind of just tell you what it needs when you need it, mm -hmm. and you just make sure you listen to that. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you know once you kind of got used to it, you developed a taste for it, and you kind of dialed in you know what to cook, what to eat. So would you mind running through a couple uh, you know quick recipes that uh, you might eat on a weeknight or something like that when you don't have a lot of time? Because obviously uh, you're a teacher and you're running uh, twice a day a lot of the time. So how how is that going for you, fitting in this lifestyle um, with everything you have going on? It, it's been going really well. And I've actually found it to be almost easier because sometimes the the I don't have to be eating constantly throughout the day because I don't always have to be constantly trying to re-up re my glycogen stores. Mm. Since my body is relying on fat, um, if I can have... I guess, fewer meals, uh, and then my energy levels stay constant. So a lot of times in the morning, I'll have, it's similar to what I would do before race, have some coffee or tea with like coconut milk. Um, and, uh, sometimes I'll have like eggs or bacon or something like that in the morning too. If I'm really busy, I'll just make sure at the beginning of the week, I hard boil up some eggs, uh, ahead of time. So I have those ready, uh, I'll have uh, another thing I'll have is like a guacamole, um, either homemade or a source that is like made with nothing but like half avocados and just some spices and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that it's a, just a real quick, easy thing to grab. Um, I know like a lot of some people on diets that might avoid dairy for various reasons, whether it's the their diet philosophy or their lactose intolerance. Um, I don't do terribly well with like, dairy that is like full not not full fat so i don't drink a lot of like i don't drink any milk really but i do eat like full like cheeses that are you know don't have 
really any carbohydrates in them so that the lactose is essentially eliminated from them for the most part, mm-hmm. at least to the level that I don't have a, that I don't react badly to. Mm-hmm. So I'll eat some cheeses, uh, more like when I can, I'll usually get a raw milk cheese, um, or an unpasteurized cheese mm-hmm. if possible. But those are always like quick type things you can, you can kind of grab and pack easily. Uh, I do eat, I think one thing that people like misperceive about the diet is that, you know, they're just eating a lot of meat and fat. And so they think like, you know, like cuts of meat and butter and stuff like that. And, uh, they don't really realize that, you know, most vegetables that are non-starchy are incredibly low in carbohydrates and mm-hmm. the carbs that are in them are typically fibrous. So they're not really even going to generate much of an insulin spike, if any at all. Mm-hmm. So I use those as a really good like vehicle to get fat in. Uh, <laughs> so for lunch, yeah, for lunch or something, I'll, I'll pack some like raw, some raw like vegetables or maybe like some leftover stir fry from the night before. And I can always like, you know, pour some extra virgin olive oil or some coconut oil or, and then put some like sea Himalayan sea salt on top of it or something like that. Um, and try to get some of those, those more, um, convenient fat sources in, in my system through some of those vegetables like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're getting a lot of healthy vegetables, which, you know, we all know is good for us. They have a lot of micronutrients. Then you, it sounds like you've you've probably got some kind of salad dressing or or do you ever do like a I mean you could do a creamy ranch style dressing with this couldn't you if if you're into that I suppose and um, yeah yeah you could you could the thing that I try to be conscious about is making sure my fat sources are specific types of sources okay like I try to avoid a lot of the vegetable oils mm-hmm. uh, like the canola oils or any type of like really, really high polyunsaturated fat mm-hmm. source. Um, I try to get a close to half my fat from saturated and most of the rest from uh, monounsaturated sources. So usually that eliminates quite a few of the, at least like the store-bought dressings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can kind of make a, a dressing type of a scenario with just like the guacamole or the olive oil or um, coconut oil or butter even for that matter. So um, that's kind of how those usually end up on, on my salads and stir fries and things like that. Okay. Okay. Um, so then dinner you're having, uh, it sounds like you, you like to do stir fries a lot. What will you do? Just uh, throw some veggies and meat and cook that in, in like a coconut oil or butter or something like that? Or how does that go? Yeah, usually the three things I'll cook with is, well, I, it's actually more like four. Sometimes I'll use coconut milk, but more often than not, I'll use like bacon grease. I'll mm. just fry up some bacon ahead of time, and then there'll be enough grease there that I can just put the stir fry in that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I need more, I'll usually put like a nice grass-fed butter or organic butter on on a, on a, on a frying pan, uh, and that that's usually enough too. Uh, sometimes some coconut uh, some coconut oil. Um, but yeah, usually it's more of those, those saturated fat types of oils. So they tend to do a little better with eating. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you mentioned that you just, once you started doing this, you, you, you felt a lot better. Now, did that go for just your overall well being as well? Or is this mostly just a performance diet for you? Um, it started out as a performance diet, but the funny thing is, is the performance returns are actually a little slower than uh, the actual well-being returns from what my experience was. 
I, I ever, I, I felt like, um, the first few weeks, you know, you have some lows as your body's transitioning, but I, it seemed like within a month I was starting to sleep better, you know, more soundly and not waking up as much at night to go to the bathroom and stuff like that. Like inflammation and water retention was going way down. Um, I was recovering quicker and like, you know, before when I was on the high carb diet, I would, I would always notice in the afternoon, I would get tired and, uh, want to take a nap almost. And now that I've been on this diet, my energy levels are just pretty steady all day long. I'm never like super hyper or like really low and tired. I'm just pretty consistent energy levels throughout the day. Um, so some of the first things I noticed and then the performance stuff started coming later and actually has been continually improving pretty much up until this last fall, I think is where it's really kind of hit its peak where I've been able to, um, go through ultra races and really not get any bonks in the traditional sense of the word. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm like, I'm like anyone where if I overreach myself, my muscles break down eventually, that's going to cause me to slow and cause me pain and stuff. But in terms of like having these crazy highs and lows from a mental standpoint, I've been able to pretty much eliminate those altogether from like 50 mile races all the way up to 125 miles. Mm -hmm. So Zach, you, you've had a lot going on now. Uh, what do you have coming up for this summer? So in about a little less than three weeks, I'm actually going to do the ice age 50 mile. Um, and that's, that's pretty close to where I live. And the reason I'm going to kind of go there is because, uh, the top three spots from that race actually earned qualifying spots to be able to race at the Western States 100. Okay. So, um, I haven't been doing a lot of trail running lately, so it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how I translate onto the trails after, um, about a half a year of road and track training. Um, but if I can finish in the top three, then this June, late June, I'll head out and, uh, try to get some mountain miles in at the Western States 100. Mm -hmm. Uh, and after that, it's, after that, it's, uh, um, I'm currently signed up for this race called six days in the dome, which is in Alaska. Uh, and it's put on by a guy named Joe Fegis, who, uh, is a pretty good, like six day runner, a really good six day runner, I should say. And you can do anything from, you can do pretty much any distance you want up to six days or time you want up to six days. Okay. Um, and after that, uh, my main focus now is going to be the world championships and in Qatar, uh, which is in late November. So I'll probably be starting to like specify my training towards that on midsummer. And like everything I do in terms of training will be mostly focused on preparing myself as best I can for that type of an event. Okay. So it, that's, that's pretty interesting because you've got some uh, trail races coming up and then is the 100 K in November, is that going to be a flat course? Yeah, it's the road championships. So it'll be, it'll be flat, flat comparatively speaking to like, you know, other ultra ultra races, which typically are a little hillier. Okay. So how do you go about preparing for ice age? Is that a hilly course? And then, uh, Western States, um, from what I've heard is pretty hilly. So, and you, you live in Madison, I believe where there there's, you said a lot of your training is pretty flat. So how do you make that transition? That's, that's the interesting part. So I, uh, finished mad city about a week and a half ago. And now I'm, I've, I've recovered really quick. So I've tried to get my, training my hill training in as quick as possible 
I'm, I'm going into the race knowing there's no way I'm going to be optimally prepared for it as if I would, if I had said back in like January, I want to get perfectly ready for, or as ready as possible for Ice Age. So I'm going in there kind of knowing that I'm probably not going to be peaking for me anyway at, at this type of course. So I'm doing as much as I can mm-hmm. in the short time I have. Uh, some of the stuff I've been doing is like last Sunday, I actually did a, a two a day where in the morning I did 17 miles on some longer rolling hills that were more or less like in the city. And in the afternoon I did nine more miles out on these trails that are really, really similar to the ones that ice age is going to have because mm. ice age is basically semi-technical with some winding turns and just like constant up and down, nothing like super long but really short steep hills, like pretty much throughout the entire race. So getting my legs kind of used to doing a little bit of that is kind of the, the, the game plan right now. Cool. Well, Zach, you know, it's been, it's always exciting to talk to you and just hear what you've got going on. Um, and congratulations on all your success that you've had in the past couple months. Um, where do you, where can people go to, to read your blog and and keep up with you and find out more about you? So they can find uh, a whole bunch of stuff. I usually track like periodic parts of my training and give like brief updates from time to time and do race recap, race recaps, like nutrition stuff that I'm following at my blog, which is um, zachbitterrunning.blogspot.com. Um, or they can always link over to that through zachbitter.com, which is my website. Cool. Well, Zach, it was great talking with you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. If you like podcasts, you're also going to like audible.com. There's over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. Go to paleorunner.org and click Audible at the top of the page to get your free audiobook download. If you're listening to this on the podcast app for iPhone or iPad, click the link displayed on the app right now. 